thanks so much for joining me today on the Heroes in Recruitment podcast. Uh, so for those who, who don't know you, so it's Mike Ames from Flair's Business Growth Consultancy. So thanks so much for joining us, Mike. Uh, I just thought we'd start, if you could just give us a quick intro as to who you are, maybe a bit about yourself, if that's okay. Okay, I'm Mike Ames. I've clearly got no taste in shirts, obviously. I've <laughs> um, been in recruitment a very long time, 35 years next year, I think, so a very long time. Mm-hmm. Learned a lot, grown some businesses, sold them. Coach loads of businesses, just worked in the industry. I really like recruitment. How could, well, you know, I'll probably need some help, but it's true. <laughs> uh, and and I think that these kind of shows where you get to share what you know to, to the audience is absolutely brilliant. So thanks for inviting me on, Jacob. Really appreciate it. Oh, brilliant. It's a pleasure to have you. And look, I wish I got the memo about the shirts. That would have been ideal. I could be matched up there. <laughs> next, next time, maybe, Mike, next time. No, that's brilliant. Thanks for coming on. I, I know you just touched on briefly about your background there. When I was doing a bit of research on yourself, yourself Mike, I hope you don't mind me bringing this up, I noticed when you first started out in, in sort of your early business years, you actually started out in IT programming, business analysis, and then you went to you know, make that change into sales and recruitment. So my first question really, I want to know what, what made you want to make that leap or that change? Because of the person I worked for, I went contract and freelance in the early 80s, and my agent, was really good. He was professional, he was a gentleman, he was honourable. He made recruitment a profession for me. It wasn't, you know, a bit bit salesy or anything. He was a professional, like a lawyer or an accountant. And I really admired what he did and how he did it. And when I had a chance to go and work for him, because he, he offered me a job, I took it. Couldn't, you know, it a, a backward step financially. I took, yeah. took, a, took a 66% pay drop to go and do that. But it was worth every penny in the great scheme of things, so it was lovely. Brilliant. And then you went on to set up Software Knowledge, didn't you? Um, so only six months later, yeah, because they promised him all sorts of things in his current company, and they didn't deliver those things. Mm. And so he said, look, we should just go and do it ourselves. And I said, well, okay then, because <laughs> I tend to say yes to everything. And, and, and off we went, and that was the start of SK, yeah. Brilliant. And from the sounds of it, it went very successful and sold for, for 40 million to an American company in the end. Is that right? Well, we, we sold it to 24 million. It was a, t- it was a 40 million turn, turnover business. Wow. But yeah, because I think it was the right time with the right people in the right place. And we, we mm. did it right. I mean, I know that sounds a bit pompous and I don't mean it to come across that way, but, mm. but we followed certain rules, which I've been following ever since. Yeah. And they work, some of which we're going to cover today, I think. Yeah, we are. Brilliant. No, that, that's, that's a really good insight as to, to your past and clearly your, your wealth of knowledge in recruitment. I guess the first question is then, when setting up that business, what, what was the biggest challenge that you faced, particularly as the business began to you know, get legs and start growing? What was the biggest challenge that you, that you faced there, Mike? Well, I think businesses go through three phases. There's the, uh, how can I eat? you just got to survive. And then when you get a few clients and you get some money in the bank and you've got a couple of people, then it's what can I eat? So you can be a bit choosy. And then the final phase that not everyone reaches is where can I do lunch, you know, and you don't really know where the money's coming from. It just comes in. And during that kind of that early stage, which is about three years normally for most businesses, when you're trying to establish a viable business, I think there's a load of challenges. I think the transition, the biggest one I think would be the transition from being a recruiter that owned a business mm. to being a businessman that run a recruitment business and, and they're very different you know so if you're a business owner you think in a different way and you have to be different whereas most people are just recruiters that own a business they still think and act like recruiters even in quite large companies and I think that was my biggest challenge I think to, to make that transition to become a businessman mm. who 
happened to do recruitment. I mean, we did other things. We became a software house and all sorts of things. But, but the bottom line was it's that transition of the way in which you think. And if you don't make that transition, the chances are you won't grow your business. Mm, that's right. I guess that leads on to some earlier conversations that we were having, which is part of the topic today of you know how you can lift revenue and, and continue to grow the business, maximizing profits, particularly without lifting costs, which we know is a, is a challenge. You touched on there that there's perhaps that sweet spot when you're slightly smaller, when you can control more things as the business begins to grow, um, there's a lot more cost involved. So I, I guess, how do you ensure that the business keeps growing and how do you lift profit with it without sort of, you know? Okay, well, there's a couple of things in there if we just unpack that. I think the first thing is an awful lot of recruitment companies, I mean, they, 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 they reckon that 74 or 75% of recruitment companies are 10 employees or less, mm -hmm. and the vast majority of those are solopreneurs, right? Yeah. Some of those people are small because they want to be, which is fine. Others, lots of them, I think, want to be bigger, but they outgrow their management strength. Mm -hmm. So they manage by proximity, which means you sit with people and you know what the heck's going on. Mm -hmm. You reach about six to eight people and you can't do that. And as soon as you get into double figures, it's almost impossible. But they don't make the transition to data management, to manage by looking at data and understanding what's going on from the data. They still try and manage by proximity, and of course it fails. So then what they become is a yo-yo company. You know, So they grow, and then they, they, they implode, then they start again, and they grow. And they don't change. They do exactly the same again. Right? They don't make that transition. And so I think the first point to make is if you want to grow, you, you have to transition your business. You don't know whether you heard the expression, you can't make a butterfly by making a caterpillar bigger. Mm. You know, you have to transition the caterpillar mm. and then it becomes a butterfly. And it's the same in the business. You can't just keep adding revenue and people to it. You have to transition it. And if you don't do that, then I'm afraid you're on very shaky ground. You're not You've not got firm foundations, mm. and and that's a really key point. If that if if the if your viewers take anything from this, it would be that transition around about six to eight people, ten absolute max, and then you need to transition again when you're in your mid twenties in terms of staff, and then transition again around about fifty or sixty staff, mm. and then obviously it goes on from there. But you really must do that for sure. And I guess a lot of the audience watching this with a lot of the recruiters we deal with are at that point of six to eight. So, so, so what does that? run through what that transition looks like then from from there then so you, you reach that point what would be there okay yeah sure well um if with a smaller business that mm -hmm. starts off with someone who's dynamic who's well connected who's a good recruiter good 360 recruiter mm -hmm. they go into the business and they basically grow a team which is sort of an extension of them really mm -hmm. even if they don't think it is it kind of is but there comes a point where they become saturated when they cannot do any more because they're managing all they can manage and then what happens is people just let things go. They just trust that people will do things in a certain way or things will get done. And there's no real management and no time for management. So the first thing is, is to put the right dashboards, the, the right reports, management information, call it what you will. Put the right dashboards in place so you know what's going on in your business without having to be there. Mm. We always say you can manage your business from Acapulco. Well, there's someone that went to Acapulco tells me it's a bit of a dog hole and you wouldn't want to go there. But you know what I mean? <laughs> You can manage your business from the Karen, let's say that, that's really nice. Um, and you do that by data. You get the reports and you put those in place. Second thing is you need to have the right meetings. You need to have meetings that are meaningful, that are centered around the data and where you can develop the people that you're working with. And if things aren't going as well as you think and want, then obviously you can do something about it. 
But those sales meetings are not in a group. doesn't work in a group. They're one-to-ones. Um, and, and I think there is this kind of mentality about <clears throat> people work in your shadow. So they don't get an opportunity to grow and become more empowered. So you have to let things go. You have to learn to delegate. And it's really important to do that. Mm. Um, I mean, we could have the whole session on delegation. I learned how to do it in the early 90s. I was rubbish before then. And as <laughs> soon as I learned how to do it, oh man, it changed everything. So it's a combination of getting the right data, having the right meetings and learning to delegate, I think. Mm. Well, that's brilliant. I guess it goes back to, to our initial discussion again of the, the whole purpose being if you can... In, if you can improve the productivity of each member of staff and have that, like what you mentioned there, delegate to, to make sure they're responsible yeah. for their own things. So I wanted to touch on, a, you mentioned about reports and data. So what sort of things in your business that allowed to be successful? What sort of things did you key track? What would be your advice for, for those sort well, of things? Well, shall we tie this to the productivity piece? Yeah. Because, you know, you, you mentioned that earlier. I mean, it, mm. we, again, there's a lot of dashboards that you can collect. Any aspect of your business, if you were operating it from the Caribbean, any aspect of your business, you'd need to know what's going on, so you need the numbers in place. Yeah. Productivity is important because if you want to lift revenues without lifting costs, which is where the big money is really, it's basically all the extra revenue you bring in pretty much sinks to the bottom line, becomes profit, right? So whereas most people grow by adding staff, which brings costs in, yeah. And, and there's a thing when you, add, when you add people, right? So most people try and grow in a sort of a, a straight line. Get some more people in, get some more people in. This is very dangerous, right? So I'll, I'll answer the question in a minute, but let me just say this first because it's yeah. relevant to it. What you should do is, first of all, have an understanding, the metrics or KPIs, of what productivity looks like for you. So the easiest one is profit per employee. I mean, there are plenty of them, to be honest. And they become more and more refined and more sophisticated. But the easiest one that I would recommend everybody starts with is productivity, um, profit per employee. Because what happens is quite often is you've got a certain level of profit for your people. Mm -hmm. You bring someone else in and, of course, productivity drops because you're paying them but they're not bringing anything in. Yeah. And then it lifts back up. But it doesn't quite lift back up to where it was before. Yeah. And then you bring another person in and it drops down and it doesn't live back to where it was and so on and so forth. That's why many established companies don't really make a lot of profit in many cases. They've become unprofitable one person at a time. Now, if you use productivity or sorry, profit per person, when you bring someone in, you work with them until your profit per person is the same or better than it was before you hired them. That way you'll you'll maintain or even improve your profitability. It's really important to do that. That's great enough. So uh, I, I guess that, no, that's some really good points you've got there. At, at, at what point then would you advise people to, because I guess this is the fine line between improving what you've got and making sure you get the max out of what you've got and then still having to grow. So what, at what point would you advise or in the past have, have you really seen, right, this is the point where we need to, as a new member of staff, because I guess that's fine balance is how do you get on the most of what we've got? What would your... Well, I mean, I think... Um, so for starters, I think they should have a trigger point for hiring. Don't just leave it to your salespeople or to your consultants because they'll just think, oh, to lift profits or to get people in because they haven't really got an eye for productivity. They're not being paid on, on profits usually. They're being paid on net fee income and, and so there's obviously a big gap between those two. So to say to people, well, okay, you get productivity to this level, you can hire someone else and then 
when you get it back up to that level, you can hire another person. So it makes it very easy. And people understand entirely what they have to do to be able to hire someone. Um, so I think, I think that's the first thing. In terms of measuring that productivity, every person in your business does something for that business. Now, as everyone knows, I'm not very keen on 360 um, recruiters. I think that's a very dangerous model. It's very hard to scale. People can leave and set up on their own and take big chunks of business with you, yada, 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 yada right? Yeah. Um, but even in a 360, people still are delivering for you, and every deliverable has a met metric associated with it. So if you're using resources, yeah. so they've got thrift, say, for example, and you can measure them, and you can figure out what is the most productive metric or target, and then measure everybody against it. And you don't stop until everybody is at least within 20% of the top performer. Right, so for example, for a resource, so you would say, well, okay, how many outreaches do you do, uh, say a week or a month? How many of those do you actually get to speak to? And how many of those do you submit to the consultant? And how many of those does the consultant accept? Mm -hmm. So it's four very simple metrics. And with those metrics, you can tell exactly what's going on with that resourcer. You can figure out if they're not delivering, where they're not delivering, and therefore what you've got to do to put it right. Mm -hmm. Because... <clears throat> the single biggest way, or easiest way, I think, to increase profits, to, to, to get those revenues to go up without increasing costs, is to make people more productive. Mm. Get everybody within 20% of the top performer, and your profits will go up. You know, this all time, it's one of the biggest projects I work on with my clients, and, and it is about that productivity, because you're not taking more people on, you're not putting more cost out there, you're not taking more risk, you're just making people better at what they do. And that's really important. So every aspect of your business, whether it's finding candidates, qualifying candidates, placing candidates, looking after clients, mm -hmm. has got metrics that you can use to decide what's most productive. Mm -hmm. And then you measure everybody against that. No, brilliant. That, some, I mean, some amazing points there, specifically for, for our audience. That I guess analysing the top performance, I love that point, and also the trigger point for hiring as well. Um, and I guess we can summarise those points at the end. That's that's really good at, from a from a data point of view. The other point you mentioned was was meetings and, and one to ones. Is is that based off that data that you then that you then analyse? Well, I'm a big fan of uh, manage it by exception. Mm -hmm. So if you're hitting your targets, and I can see there's a pipeline of work coming in, yeah. and when I've an outreach to your clients, because you need to give your clients a voice, VOTC. So you need to understand what your clients think, not just look at the numbers internally, right? So the clients saying, yeah, doing a great job. Numbers saying, yeah, doing a great job. Forward pipeline saying, yeah, I'm going to continue to do a great, great job. We don't need to talk this month unless you particularly want to. If you want to talk, great, you know, let's have a meeting. But if you don't, then I haven't got anything to say, so let's not bother us. waste each other's time. And what that gives people is this feeling of autonomy. In that as long as they deliver, no one's going to be on their backs. And people really like that. So I think that it, it is driven by the data, for sure. Um, and that is... Not 100% of the discussion points that you would have in that meeting because there are things that they might want to talk about which aren't necessarily related to, to performance. But really that's the point of it for you, to be able to, to get people as efficient and productive as they can because whilst productivity is the most important because it's the most sustainable, I think, the second I lift your revenues, there are three right I'm going to cover, that's the first one. Second one way to lift your revenues without lifting your costs is to raise your prices. Mm -hmm. Right now, I know people are going to be listening saying, what is he saying? Well, of course, you know, if I could do that, I would. Well, the question is, when was the last time you tried? Yeah. 
And if you did, how did you try and do that? Because in many cases, people don't try and raise their prices. They just leave them as they are. Mm -hmm. That's what we did last time. That's what we're going to do next time. Or they don't do it in the right way. You know, they take a punt. Well, of course, you're not going to be successful then, are you? You know, but raising prices is the quickest, I think, way. I wouldn't say it's the easiest, but it's certainly the quickest way yeah. to, to raise your revenues. And, I, I, you know, there's a case recently, one of my clients, and she knows who she is if she's listening to this, lifted her profits by her revenues by about 24% within one quarter just by raising prices, and she didn't lose a single client. So half of it is having the chutzpah to go out there and say, well, okay, I'm going to lift my prices now. The other half is having a, a tactic or a plan to do that. And if you've got that, then, yeah, lift the prices. They will go up. Perhaps not with everybody, yeah. but they will go up for sure. Yeah, that's, that's a brilliant point. Like you said, it's the, it's the quickest way. So, so increasing, increasing productivity through data, through meetings, through analysing the top performers and then trying to get the team up there. And obviously the quickest point, raising prices. So I guess uh, looking at the, just that touching on that last point before we sort of look at summarise that. I thought you might want to, yes. I thought you might want <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully my boss isn't listening to this because this is something he's constantly, which which is a good thing, which is a good thing, but um, possibly not so much for, for clients. But um, looking at raising prices, how do they, uh, one question that often people worry about, I guess, is if we raise prices, are people going to, cancel our people not going to want to work with us so i guess how how do you how do you balance between justifying they, the prices if they only buy from you because you're cheap that's not a very good relationship it's yeah. what first yeah. and foremost right so if you're afraid that you're going to lose clients because you're not cheap you really need to take a serious look at your service levels really you yeah. know so uh, but uh, there are three things right okay the the first thing is you can productize yeah okay so if you turn your service into a product then it gives you the opportunity to begin to differentiate different parts of your service and put different prices on it. And also, it means that you can begin to differentiate the the results that they get and the effort that you put in. So, for example, if you say, well, okay, if you want me to do contingency, just like everybody else, the national average for contingent placements is one in five. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to work all week, but I only get paid for Friday, you know. And I can't make that work. No one can make that work. So all I can do is give it three or four hours or five hours or whatever contingent time you can make. I'll do a scrape of the job boards. I'll look on LinkedIn. I'll look on the database. I'll look who's recently registered with us. I'll do my best to get some shortlist for you and I'll present them. The thing is, all the other agencies are going to do the same thing with the same job boards and LinkedIn. So you're going to get the same people. The chances are the person that you want is not actively looking yeah. Or they're being a bit cautious. They're not responding to adverts. They're not on job boards. So if you want me to find those, it's at least four times, maybe even five times the effort. I cannot do that unless you pay me. Right? I can't do it. Because, because if I do all that and don't get paid at the end of it, I will go bankrupt. So if you want me to get deeper for you, to go much wider and much deeper in my search and get candidates that nobody else is getting, you have to pay me for that. And it has to be retained or at least exclusive. And it's on a different rate because I'm going to put so much more effort in. In other words, what I'm doing for you is I'm justifying why I'm going to charge more. I'm actually putting it into a plain English to say, well, if you get this, I do less, so you pay less. But if you do this, I do more and you get more, but you pay that. You choose, Mr. Client. Yeah. And the idea is to work with the clients that recognize that and pay more. 
because they want that extra service. You can't just say and put my prices up. It's like, yeah. Well, no, you're not really. You're, yeah, yeah, well, you yeah. think you are, mate, but you're not. You have to justify it. And productization. I mean, it's a massive subject, and I can't, I can't properly cover it now, obviously. But productization is one leverage that you can use to bump the prices up and put people into a different bracket because you've justified by the things that you do yeah. at extra cost. The second way is you can convert from a percentage into a fixed price, an amount of money. Now, this gets frowned on an awful lot, but every time I do it as a project, prices go up. It's amazing, because if you think about it, right, so so why why does percentage make any difference? I mean, a percentage of final salary of the, of the candidate, what does that make any difference? Well, it does in bands. So if I'm trying to find somebody to work in a factory, it's going to take me less time and effort than if I'm trying to find a C-suite director. Yeah. I get that. But pretty much, it doesn't make any difference. It's the amount of effort that you put in. And once you've done the analysis, because that's another thing that you can measure, is how long it takes you in time to be able to put a bum on a seat at different job roles. You kind of know how much it costs you then. So you put a margin on top and that's what you charge. That's the deal. So to the client, it's like, well, if you want me to get you one of those, that person there, it's going to cost you this much. doesn't matter what the salary is. doesn't matter, right? I mean, there's a loose connection between the two, of course, but yeah. it doesn't matter. It's That's the price. And let me tell you, again, drawing it back into the productization, let me tell you what I'm going to do for that price so that you know you're getting value for money. The benefits to that is that there's no incentive for you as the agent to bump up the salary. Yeah. There's no, um, in terms of the candidate as well, you, you're just going to choose the best candidate for the job, not necessarily the one that you can charge most for. And the client, of course, knows exactly what they're going to pay. So it's great for budgeting for them. So you could cut a deal with them and say, well, okay, let's just all arrange fees, effectively, a yeah, fee, yeah. a replacement fee, for every type of person that I can recruit for you. And you know what that is, then you can build that into your budget because you know it's going to cost you. So there are lots of benefits. But the biggest benefit is if you're negotiating around percentage points, you know, I want to, what do you do it for 15%? Well, no, I was thinking 20, well, that's 18. Those small percentage points actually equate to a lot of money. Mm. Whereas if you're negotiating money, well, I'll do that for 20 grand. Oh, 20 grand sounds a lot. Tell you what then, give me the next one as well, I'll do it for 19. Yeah. It's only a small reduction. You know, it's, it's a small reduction, tiny reduction, in fact. But, but to them, it seems like they're, they're getting a deal. Yeah. But if you couple it with what they're going to get for it, you'll find that, well, it's like going to a petrol station, filling your car with petrol, going in and saying, well, okay, I know it says £110 uh, on the meter, but I was hoping for cash, you'd take it for 99 or I'll come here all the time, so I should have it for 95 Well, no, it's 110 mate, because that's, what it, that's yeah. what it costs. No, that's the deal. It's the same thing. Well, okay, for me to get you that, it costs this. Well, you do it for less. Well, not really, no, because that's what it costs me yeah. to find that person for you. So if you want it, that's what it costs. And if you justify it strongly enough, you're much more likely to get that through. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing, which I think is, again, something that most individual recruiters won't do, but owners of recruitment companies, particularly small recruitment companies, moving from that management by proximity to management by data, that transition phase, is to be selective about the vacancies that you work on and the clients that you work for. Because we all know that some vacancies are much harder to satisfy than others. And we certainly know that some clients are much easier to work with than others. So if you measure, you know, we measure conversion ratios against consultants. So CV submitted, interviews, offers, placements, and so on. If you do that against vacancy types, 
roles really and if you do that against hiring managers for set periods not forever but in a yeah. sample time say a month or two months or something you can quickly see those vacancies where you make the most money because you're now measuring return on investment I know how long it takes me to deliver this candidate and this is what I get back from it I could actually make a lot more if I delivered lower rate candidates but actually it was an easier process you know it's yeah. a proper discussion you can have and so this is about making the most of what you've got. Clearly, if you've got no work, you're working what you've got, won't you? Let's yeah. be honest. But if, if you've got more work than you can manage, then you should be drawn to the clients that are a dream to work with because they look at the CVs pretty much immediately. They make a decision. They interview people quickly. They come back to you. They don't gaslight you or dick around with you. And I, and I think it's really important to know who those are and do more work with them and less with those awkward buggers that you present the shortlist. Oh, none of those are any good, really, because they haven't got this, that, or the other. Mm. Well, you, you didn't ask for that. No, well, I think they should have it. You know, back to the drawing board, another bunch of costs and still no placement. So I think you've got to be selective about the type of requirements that you work on and the hiring managers that you work with, accepting that sometimes because of your supplier status, you have to work with less than perfect hiring managers and you have to work on vacancies that you'd rather not because that's the deal. But given the choice, it's be more selective. Put your people in the place where they can earn most money for the time that they spend doing that doing that job. Yeah. It's what you would do in a, in a factory. I mean, the model that we promote, as you know, is a factory model. It's what you do in a factory. It's where you make the most money. Yeah. What's yeah, the biggest yeah. margin on? Do more of that. Yeah. Um, I, I tell you, that we ran a project recently and... Um, <clears throat> I uh, was looking at the type of roles they did, and they, they did kind of media, so their, their, their uh, placement fee is seven to 10,000, so not small, not big, right? So, and they were whacking these, these, these people in at four grand a pop, and I said, well, why are you wasting your time with that? She said, well, let me tell you why. So, because we've got a deal, they email the requirement through, they only use us, they email the requirement through to the resourcer, mm -hmm. resourcer finds them, sends them over, they then interview immediately, and they'll offer there and then. She said, "For the, if I told you how much it costs us yeah. to place those people, you would be amazed. It's one resource, and they pretty much take every time. We're going to keep doing that, right? Because they'd done the numbers. They knew how much money that they got back for the, the time and effort that they invested. And I would urge everybody to consider that. Mm. And that, that goes back to, I guess, with the, the reports from both. You've got the productivity report, and you're also pulling reports of finding the data and which is your most profitable client. Yeah. How does that link? Yeah, yeah, because you, you need, it's, it's part of this transition from being a recruiter that owns a business yeah. to a business owner that does recruitment. Uh, business owners are very interested in numbers, not just how much profit did I make last month, right? Yeah. But they're interested in the metrics, the diagnostics that tell them what's going on in their business. So if something's not working, you can figure out why and they can fix it. And, and certainly when it comes to this, you should be really hot on it. Because you'll be wasting, I tell you now, most recruitment companies that I see are wasting tons and tons of effort working the wrong requirements or with the wrong people. Yeah, that makes sense. Great, man. I wondered if very quickly, Mike, you could just summarise, just if you, if you catch in the last bit, if people want just to see the summarised points then. So you mentioned three points of productivity, of raising prices. Just very quickly summarise those points and just, just pull one sentence from each. Is that okay? Okay, so... Um, <laughs> productivity first. Yep. Productivity is about getting the most out of your people. Each person is, can generate revenue and has a cost associated with them. You want to maximise the return on that investment. And that's down to 
measuring their performance, trying to get everybody within 20% of the top performer and using training and coaching, external training if you can. I'm not a trainer, so I'm not punting for work, but external training if you can and to get them where you need them to be. And if somebody can't get there, then you can have that conversation with them. Yeah. Raising your prices really is about justifying why you should lift your prices, quite frankly. You can't just say, well, look, I'd like to raise my prices because I haven't for a bit. It's like, well, no, mate, that's not going to happen. So have that justification. And then being selective based on what the data is telling you on who you work with and what you work on. Brilliant. No, I appreciate that, Mike. It's, it's been brilliant having you as a guest. As, as always, we do quick three quick-fire questions at the very end, Mike. So I wonder if you, you wouldn't mind answering those very quickly for us. So quick-fire questions, favourite book? Okay, um, I would probably say Lord of the Rings, which I read a long time ago and I just blew away, really. I still think about it now. Awesome. If I had to go a business book, I'd probably say The Fred Factor, which is a very little known book, but it, it teaches people how to differentiate themselves when they're service providers. It's brilliant. Brilliant. Favourite CEO or celebrity that you're following at the moment? Well, um, I, I tend to graze on people out there, so I'll just look to see what's going on. But weirdly, weirdly, I, I, I like watching or listening to Joe Rogan, Yeah, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast. He has some really interesting people on there, and he's got a real way of getting people to talk about themselves, and I think he's brilliant. The other one is Stephen Colbert. I know that's two. I've cheated a bit, really. But. <laughs> fine, yeah. Funny enough, we were just I was telling my directors literally before this about the Joe Rogan podcast, because he hadn't listened to it, I was showing them some of the actual... And dialogue, yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but, but I was saying that same point, that, that level of questioning that, that he has, that ability is brilliant. Final question then, something you wish you knew when you were 20? Not too long ago. Oh, wow, that's, uh, yeah, that's a, a tough question, really. I think, I think probably I wish I'd realised I didn't have to sacrifice my family as much as I did mm. to get the results I wanted. I thought I had to give the business everything. And I didn't. I could have given it less and given them more, mm. particularly my time and attention, which I didn't do. I made it all about the company. And I really deeply wish I hadn't done that. Mm. No, I appreciate your honest answer there, mate. And look, it's, it's been absolutely fabulous having you as part of the, the Heroes and Recruiting podcast. Uh, if people want to find out more about Mike, I don't know if you want to tell them you also have a podcast, Mike, don't you, whether or not you want to go. I don't know if you want we, have a live, we have a live show every Thursday at 12.30 on LinkedIn. If you Google my name, I'm... You're just all over the place, really. If you're yeah. interested in the content that we produce, we don't sell to anybody. People buy from us, just yeah. so that you know. Um, and so we do that through content, and we produce a lot of content. If you connect on LinkedIn, then you'll see what we produce, and I would be delighted to share that with you. Brilliant. Yeah, so I'd highly recommend connecting with Mike because he produces some great content for, for temp recruiters out there and other recruiters as well. But look, it's been a pleasure, Mike. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, I look forward to, to speaking with you soon. The pleasure has been all mine. Thanks, Thank you very much, Jacob. Bye. Bye.